from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Friday edition of the program. We are live, we're national, and your calls are welcome. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, I woke up to a story um, in my text messages. My brother, I like to call him Conspiracy Joe. He should have his own show, by the way. Uh, he's, he's got all the stories, but he sends me uh, a, a barrage of stories every day uh, with all sorts of crazy things. And maybe some of you believe all those things. I definitely don't. But <clears throat> this one wasn't a conspiracy. This was a actual um, a report coming from Fox uh, 13, Fox 13 News. Um, listen to this headline. Over 120 people arrested, 123, as a matter of fact. A teacher and a nurse are amongst those arrested uh, during a Hillsborough County human trafficking operation that rescued 28 children. Isn't that crazy? Or 28 individuals. Um, I think we have uh, a clip of audio on this. Check this out. Over the last 90 days, we arrested 123 individuals who were charged with human trafficking or trafficking-related charges. These 123 arrests transcend mere statistics. They represent our commitment to protect the innocent and our resolute efforts to safeguard the most vulnerable members of our community. We are not merely apprehending wrongdoers. We are ensuring no one falls into the clutches of these criminals who would exploit and inflict harm upon them. In the course of our undercover operations, we have come face to face with individuals from all walks of life some of who held positions of trust and authority that shockingly included a teacher, a nurse, basketball coach, and a person employed by a spiritual organization. These are individuals who betrayed our trust. That is the uh, Hillsborough County, Florida Sheriff Chad Cronister. And uh, shocking, right? But it's real. Uh, this is uh, coming out of Tampa, Fox 13 in Tampa. Uh, over 120 people have been arrested. 28 victims have been saved from the following 90-day human trafficking operation conducted in Hillsborough County by the sheriff's office. For the last, uh, for the last 90 days, the uh, sheriff's office human trafficking squad conducted a number of investigations under the name Operation Renewed Hope. According to the sheriff, Chad Christer, detectives conducted a number of these undercover streetwalker and motel operations along with online chats. It, where undercover investigators paw, uh, excuse me, paw, posed, <laughs> I said paused, posed as minors uh, that were available for sex. The sheriff added that they also posed as guardians selling children for sex. Wow, that's, that's horrible. Uh, sheriff Cronister said that he chose to conduct the operation over the holidays when children are out of school and more likely to be online. Um, 
shocking stuff that's going on here. Uh, the sheriff added that deputies arrested 123 people who were charged with human trafficking and trafficking-related charges. You just heard him say that. Sheriff uh, said that those arrested included a teacher, a nurse, a basketball coach, and someone employed by a spiritual organization. I'm curious to know what that is. Is that like a youth minister, a pastor, a priest? Um, very curious to know what, who's what and where, what what type of organization, uh, what faith <clears throat> denomination. I'm very curious. Anyway, uh, the sheriff went on to say that the Operation Renewed Hope also targeted the driving force behind prostitution. I'm going to pause there and share something with you. Uh, so, you know, um, I took a couple of days off uh, after the holidays, right? After we came back, I took off uh, like a long weekend and I went to Medellin, Colombia. And it was a wonderful trip. It was very nice. But w- w- the, the most shocking thing, or at least one of them, I think this was the singular most shocking thing, was on one of the nights I went out. It was a Friday night. We went to like the, um, the main area there. It's called El Poblado. And uh, it's got a, a million restaurants. Uh, think about it like, I don't know, kind of like Manhattan, but with great weather. And just every every type of cuisine you want, all sorts of eateries available. And <clears throat> there's also a ton of prostitution, like Vegas. But what was interesting about that night, and I had been out uh, uh, the night prior, and, you know, I saw a few people, a few um, um, women of the night, if you will. But on Friday night, there were, or was it, yes, yeah, Friday night, I think it was a Friday, there were what appeared to me, to be children younger than my kids. And again, my kids are 18 and 22. Um, at one point, it looked to me like I saw a girl that was like 11 years old wearing very provocative clothing um, with lots of tattoos. And um, I-, I was just like, oh my God, that girl looks like she's 11, 12 at best. And uh, in another situation, I saw a similar girl, probably a little older, maybe 12 or 13. But this woman was with a woman that looked like her but older, which I assumed was her mother. And it looked like the mother was the like manager. And and I was really like troubled by this. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe this stuff is happening. And, um, after reading this, I, all I can say is perhaps, uh, they were conducting a sting of their own in, in Colombia. And that's why I saw that because it just seems so out of, uh, out of the norm for what was going on in that area. And my hope is that that was uh, a cop or that there was some sort of sting operation uh, because that was probably the the single the single most um, horrible thing that I saw while I was there. Otherwise, beautiful place, lots of great food, uh, lots of everything's a good time. But that was just kind of like holy crap. And I remember I, I got a tattoo while I was there, and I asked the tattoo artist. I said, you know, is that? I told him about it. And I said that's kind of crazy. And he said, yeah. He said, unfortunately, um, there's a lot of that here. There's a lot of people that come here for that. And I was like, oh, I didn't know. Um, and he said, you know, it is what it is. Um, <clears throat> sexual tourism is what he called it. And I thought, wow, I thought people only went to Thailand for stuff like that. So that is a thing. And I'm glad that this sheriff did this in Florida and was able to, you know, put the smack down on these people. Uh, the sheriff went on to say Operation Renewed Hope also targeted the uh, driving force behind much of this prostitution. And he suspects that the... Um, assailants, the suspects, know that what they were doing was wrong. Even a few of them that were arrested, uh, he said they're seeing a trend, that they're dropping their cell phones. When they take their cell phones somewhere else, they try to get rid of it because they don't want people to know what's going on or what they're doing, like using burner phones, because they know what they're doing is wrong. And that is a huge problem. 
And it's, it's just one of the many problems we have in our country. Um, that, uh, the voracious appetite for drugs, um, you know, that's always the argument. People say, oh, there's a war on drugs. And people say, oh, you know, if there was no appetite for drugs, there wouldn't be drugs. And uh, some validity to that argument. And ultimately, all I can say is that's just one of the many problems that we have in our nation, right? And we have to continue to address these problems. Another problem that most of us have is when we go to the grocery store, we're getting less and less food and we're spending more and more money. And that's a problem that continues. So I want to get into that with uh, one of our favorite economists coming up straight ahead. And if you want to join the conversation, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. And it's not just a border crisis, it is an economic crisis every single day that hardworking families are facing. Hardworking families right here in New Hampshire, hardworking families in my district in upstate New York, and hardworking families across America. Because of Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and Chuck Schumer's trillions of dollars of reckless spending, we now have the highest rate of inflation, Biden inflation, in my lifetime. People are struggling to make ends meet. The economy has plummeted under Joe Biden's leadership. Compare that with President Donald J. Trump, the strongest economy we had in my lifetime. We know that President Trump's strong economic leadership works, and we need to deliver that to save our American economy this November. And I know we can count on New Hampshire to get that done. Of course, that's Elise Stefanik, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, Republican Conference Chair, um, talking about Biden inflation and the disaster that is the Biden economy. And some people think disaster is too strong a word because they say, oh, but the jobs are so strong and the stock market's doing really great. And then we see that there's plenty of corrections uh, with the um, jobs reports, right? Lots of um, retooling of those. I think all but one month uh, had to be uh, adjusted. And uh, with respect to the stock market, uh, Jamie Dimon was saying some really interesting things the other day on how they pumped so much money into these things that he's just waiting for that to kind of um, flatten out as well. But that remains to be seen. What we do know right now is that there's an Axios uh, survey, Axios Vibes, actually. Listen to this. 59% of respondents felt angry, anxious, or resigned while shopping for groceries with anger being the most common emotion, 72% of respondents also said that groceries are where they feel the most effects of inflation. Now, inflation has uh, gone down uh, in large part um, since 2022, where it hit like a 43-year high. But grocery prices are still significantly higher than they were before 2020, according to Fox News here. And based on the data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, Americans must spend something like $125 for groceries that would have previously cost 100 bucks in December of 2019. So I want to get to that and get a, a really good look at the economy with Vance Ginn. Uh, Vance Ginn is the former associate director for economic policy of the White House Office of Management and Budget. 
He's the host of Let the People Prosper podcast, and uh, he's uh, one of our favorites on this program. Vance Ginn, welcome back, sir. Hey, Rich. It's a pleasure to be with you. You bet. So I'm sure it comes as no surprise when you take a look at this Axios uh, survey that says 59% of respondents feel angry when they go to a supermarket. I thought it was just me that felt that way, but apparently everybody else feels that way, too. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I know I feel that way too. I've got three little kids and I mean, it just adds up in a hurry. And it seems like it's hitting not only my family, but your family and so many other For families sure. across the country. And, but it's interesting because, you know, President Biden will say, well, food prices are coming down. And well, they're not coming down. It's just that the growth rate, the inflation rate has what's called disinflation or, or moderated from the highs of where it was. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the chart right now. The BLS puts out and inflation food at home is up 2.7 percent um, uh, over, the, over the last year. Uh, food away is up 5.2 percent. So if you're trying to go out to eat, it's really expensive. And so that 2.7 percent may seem like it's you know moderating. It's not as high. But at the same time, it's compounding. Right, Rich? I mean, it's been compounding mm-hmm. over time to where people just can't keep up with even as their wages may have been going up over the last couple of years. And that's the part that that is rough for a lot of people. I know, and it's rough for me yeah. to reconcile it. You know, I think, you know, even if I earn more money or I know people that are earning more money, uh, they're not going on better and more robust vacations. They're not uh, hmm. eating better. It seems like even though they're making more money, they're, they're spending more money. And this, of course, uh, comes to the chagrin of most people where they're just like, you know, this is not cool. Uh, I think yep. Biden has kind of hung his hat on the idea that uh, because he – oversaw the the policies that made inflation go up as high as it did, that while it may be trickling down from there and coming down, um, it's still not where it was. And and it, it seems like that conversation gets lost on deaf ears. Why do you think that is? Well, you're exactly right. I mean, the real median household income, which is just takes median income across the United States, adjusted for inflation, um, has been down about $6,000. Um, since 2000. So that's not a good sign. Um, And whenever you're looking at the inflation rates coming down, it really has nothing to do with his policies. It's in spite of his policies, really, because what he's done is continue to increase government spending. Um, Congress, of course, passes those bills, but he's been supportive of that and wanted even more spending of his Build Back Better program that he got about, you know, maybe 60% of what he wanted. So we could be even a worse condition, given all the stuff that he's wanted to put forward. Um, But the Federal Reserve, right, they've been cutting the money supply, their balance sheets down about 13%. That's really why inflation is down. Um, But they're still up 85%. Their balance sheet is up 85% by the Fed um, just since February of 2020, right before the pandemic. So there's a lot of inflationary pressures that are out there. We're just feeling, you know, there's inflation is slowing down some because of what the Fed's doing, but I still think there's a lot of, of more inflation to come because of the bad policies out of the Biden administration. Right. And it's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. These, uh, these programs, uh, the American rescue plan, build back better. Yeah. Uh, th- these things cost a ton of money and there was already a ton of money that was spent at the end of the Trump administration because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So you, you put all that together and you, man, you've got a big problem. So my, my thinking, and you know, I ask everybody, I try to get a sense of it, uh, quantitative easing and, and the raising of interest rates and all this stuff that they've been doing. Um, how much longer do you think this goes on for another year? Does it go on for another year and a half, two years? Um, how much more? And, and what do you think the top line number is? I think we're at eight or 9% for, for mortgage interest rates for like, you know, for a paper. What, what do you think that looks like moving forward? 
Yeah, you know, a couple of years ago, there was all this talk by a lot of economists and some of the talking heads that are out there saying that this is just transitory inflation because mm-hmm. it was supply side shocks that were supply chain disruptions from COVID and the lockdowns. And then once that all opened up, it was all going to come back. But I mean, I think you and I and, and, and others that were out there was like, no, this isn't going to just be transitory inflation. This is persistent inflation, given the amount of spending that happened really at, at the end of the Trump administration, but even put on steroids by the Biden administration. And then the Fed printing so much money. And so now we've seen interest rates, you know, soar. Um, you're, you're right. The mortgage rates have, for depending on what type of credit you have could be 8% or more. Um, the average rate has come down a little bit to about six and a half percent, but that's still a lot higher than it was around three and a half percent just a, a year and a half ago. Yeah. So we're looking at people in an affordable, an unaffordability crisis in the housing market across the country. I, I live near Austin, Texas in a place called Round Rock and here the, the home values just soared and people can't afford a lot of places to live. So not only is the food prices up, but your housing price, your mortgage is up it's, and, and gas prices are still a lot higher than they were whenever Biden came in. It's just one thing after another. And so my expectation is, is that we're gonna see inflation start to pick back up, which it already is. And then that is gonna contribute to the Fed not being able to raise or sorry, cut interest rates this year, because there's some talk, Rich, that they would cut interest rates three times this year, put more money in the economy, which of course would be more inflation. So, right. so I can't see <laughs> that happening anytime soon. Yeah, and that, that's a tough one. Uh, folks, we're on with Vance again. I want to talk a little bit more about the housing um, stuff that we just talked about, because I think the housing situation, it's not just Texas, right? I think that's the case all over the place, that property yeah. values are shooting up. And I've also seen, and again, I haven't seen too many reports, but it, this is really anecdotal for me speaking with people, that institutional investors are more aggressive than they've ever been. And uh, they're buying up a lot of single family homes. So there's an inventory problem for young people that are looking to make their first uh, home purchase. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Of course, uh, anybody want to join the conversation, you're welcome to do it. 833-482-5337 is the number. And with, with, with that being said, uh, Vance, I see so much uh, movement. People are, are trying to earn more. People are trying to move forward. Uh, but it, it seems like we're creating new normals, right? It used to be the norm of, you know, you send your kids to college, they dorm at a school, or they get a job, and then they, uh, you know, they, maybe they don't come back. Now they always come back, right? <laughs> I think it's quite uh, a new thing for people to have their kids coming back. And I'm wondering, does that persist? So we'll continue with all of that straight ahead, folks. The number 833-4-VALDEZ. The guest, Vance Ginn, former uh, associate director of OMB at the White House. We're coming right back. Your calls and more with Vance Ginn. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything wherever you listen. 
All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, we're here with uh, Vance Ginn. He's former uh, associate director of economic policy for the White House Office of Management and Budget, otherwise known as OMB. And he also hosts a podcast you should check out called Let the People Prosper. Um, and I want to get to um, this topic we, we kind of left off with right before with uh, institutional investors. I'm looking at an article published, I don't know, about four hours ago by Fortune magazine. Here's the headline, Vance. Listen to this. Wall Street's landlord phase is back on as Blackstone's $3.8 billion acquisition of Tricon rouses a slumbering institutional investing sector. And uh, in most of my years, and again, I'm not an economist, I'm not even a finance guy, so I I kind of pay attention to this stuff sparingly. But it was always uh, my understanding, most banks and big investment firms that didn't specialize in real estate um, weren't involved in real estate. They oftentimes, if they had troubled assets, if they had any foreclosures, they were trying to sell them very quickly. And that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. And it doesn't even seem because it's advantageous because it's always the same game, right? You sell it for cheap, you, you make some money on it, whatever. The real estate game hasn't changed in and of itself, at least from what I could see. But it seems that there's more institutional investors going after single family homes than I've ever seen. Um, and maybe that's just uh, my limited purview. But uh, it, it just, it, it seems like a new thing. Is that new from your perspective or is it something that's cyclical? Something I've been following recently, Rich, and for a couple of years now, because after the pandemic and when things um, were locked down for a while, that's when the investors like the hedge funds and everyone else really started buying more of these single family homes. It's also when interest rates really low. There were a lot of liquidity in the marketplace and they didn't know where else to turn. And many people weren't buying new homes. So many people wanted to sell, but people didn't want to move. And so I think from that at that point, time, it made sense for these hedge funds to add liquidity to the markets for people trying to sell their homes and other people weren't wanting to buy it because things were locked down and all that, um, that maybe they would buy them up. And that added liquidity and it allowed for sellers to be able to sell their home. Um, When interest rates went up, um, you know, the last year, year and a half, they've been selling a lot of those off. They've been getting out of that market because, it, the, you know, the incentive just wasn't there anymore. But now as interest rates look like they're going to start going back down, I think a lot of these hedge funds and invest- investors are thinking, okay, where else are we going to get the rate of return we're getting right now? I think the stock market is way overpriced. If you look at P ratios, price to earning ratios and things of that nature, um, mm-hmm. when you look at earnings for the future, which is what the stock market should be based on, and the earnings just aren't there. And when you think about the slower economy, likely recession in 2024, um, you don't want to put a lot of money into the stock market and some other types of assets. And so they're looking around and saying, where else do we put it? And I think that's why they're getting back into single family homes. I don't know that that'll last a whole long, you know, a long time because they can flip them pretty quickly. Um, but, it, but it is kind of interesting to see what's going on. And I think it all goes back to what we we're talking about in the first segment about Biden's overspending, Congress's deficit spending, right. and the Fed printing so much money is that that money has to go somewhere and you can only choose so many assets. And right now they're choosing the single family home. Got it. Okay. So you're saying uh, from the position of the institutional investor, it makes sense for them. It's a safe place to park their money throughout these tumultuous times. I think so. I, yeah. I think so. I think it's kind of a hedge on a lot of the uncertainty that's out there right now. 
Um, and we'll see what happens whenever, if, if that's a domino that starts to fall like it did in what, 05, 06, 07 period, right before the Great Recession. Um, or will that be something that's longer lasting? I mean, home prices started to go down. I'm just reading another article from the Wall Street Journal right now on uh, about how uh, home sales were the lowest in almost 30 years in 2023. Um, and so when, when you're looking at that and you see that the home price, the median home price is $382,600, and it was actually up uh, in December year over year by 4.4%. Um, this is about the affordability issue. We're, we're getting to a situation where many single you know, or just parents in general or households can't afford a lot of these homes. And if they go on the market and these sellers are trying to sell, who else, to, I guess, is going to get except these institutional investors, for better or worse? Um, but I'm hopeful that maybe some of these prices will start to go down, and that will help things to be more affordable for families. All right. That's encouraging um, because, you know, I, I always uh, tend to look at things sometimes with uh, the glass being half empty. And I think, you know what, they're buying up what everybody else wants to buy, what we could probably possibly afford to buy and uh, leaving nothing left for everybody else. And, uh, and and that's a sinister motive. Right. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, which I don't put past many in the um, the elite and the um, in the uh, big finance group like Blackstone. Yeah, I just. I get where you're coming from, Rich. I mean, I, I'm, I'll be worried about that too. Um, but I, I would hope that at some point they're going to be based on profit motive. And if right. you bid up those demand too high and the price is too high, then you're not going to be able to sell it off in the market and liquidate it in order to get those funds to add to your profitability, which will reduce the shareholder value and everything else. And, and they'll come up into problems. Now, those problems could still come up because <laughs> another big thing, Rich, and I don't know if you've been following this, but the Federal Reserve has been running losses. Yeah. Uh, over a hundred billion dollars. And a lot of that was based on loans that they've been giving out to financial institutions over the last few months since, since the Silicon Valley bank, bank last year and all those other failures um, to, to prop these banks up. And I, I think that's also contributing to these additional assets that they have now to go out there and, you know, buy some more of these homes. And, and that's all going to dry up soon. And when that does, I think that's going to contribute to the, the recessionary pressures and, 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 and a deeper session than we otherwise would have. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And again, I'm, I'm still, uh, the, uh, the, the jury is still out for me on whether these guys unload um, what they've bought. When Blackstone's yeah. buying, I don't know, 38,000 homes and they purchased a, another company that owned something like 26,000 homes, that's a lot of homes that they're buying. And it seems like they want to stay in the, the landlord real estate management business. And um, it just, it, it, was, it seems curious to me. But um, excellent yep. analysis, and I appreciate that, and I agree with you. Uh, the the fish rots from the head, right? It all starts at the top, yeah. and we've got to stop things uh, in the White House and have a sound fiscal policy there in order to move forward. Uh, I want to continue with you uh, for uh, for another segment. Vance Skin, stick with us. And, folks, if you want to join our conversation, you know the number, 833-4-VALDEZ. Straight ahead, I want to talk about uh, other aspects of the economy, plus uh, your calls. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez.
All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. We're uh, having a conversation with Vance Ginn. He's former White House Associate Director for Economic Policy in the Office of Management and Budget. He's the host of Let People Prosper podcast. And um, I see we have some callers that have questions for him. Let's go to Steve in Atlanta on WGKA. Steve, go right ahead. You're on with Vance Ginn and me, Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, hey, Vince and Mr. Valdez. Um, so, so, hey, I want to put something that's that's like maybe um, a tough thing to even consider. But uh, I want to put the I want to pose a question to both of you, and and get your your reaction and and how you feel about it. Um, would, would would either one of you be a proponent of a system where um, entitlements the participants of entitlements uh, would have to repay the cost of their benefits, um, you know, uh, each paycheck, like 10, 10%. All right, Steve, thank you. Uh, Vance, again, your thoughts on repaying entitlements, I guess, for public assistance and whatnot. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. I mean, um, you know, the big ones come to mind, of course, are like Social Security and Medicare, which those would be tough to pay, pay back. They may not, those may not be the ones you're talking about, but for example, in social security, if you're retired, you're not probably getting any additional income unless you right. take it out of your social security check. That'd be, that'd be a tough one politically to get done. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, when you talk about Medicare, you're in a similar situation, which mostly retired folks. And so those are the big types of entitlements that I don't know if that would quite work. I do think that we need reforms to those because those are some of the biggest cost drivers that's, you know, driving the deficits in national debt over $34 trillion. Um, but I think there are going to be different types of reforms than those. When you think about SNAP, you like food stamps and um, uh, TANF and housing vouchers and those things, I mean, people do end up paying a lot of that back whenever they go to work once they get off of those programs that they pay taxes that go in to pay for those programs later on. Um, but, but you're, but you're right. There is a cost up front <laughs> that we've got to come to deal with. And a lot of people, you know, it's a, it's a tough road to say, you know, I'm going to get off this program and go to work because then they lose so much on, on that program, what's called a fiscal or a, a benefits cliff. And, and so there are some reforms that we need to make sure that people are going back to work with work requirements and things of that nature. If you're on any of these safety net programs that I think will be a, better um, um, play for not only the individual, uh, but also the economy and their families and everything else. So I'm with you, though. I do think we need some reforms to a lot of these programs. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. And Vance, again, yeah, I I realize that um, with any of those, uh, for me, it's the same in all three of them, right? Just if you're looking at the big ones, if you're looking at uh, uh, SNAP and TANF uh, and public assistance that way, or if you're looking at Social Security, Medicare, uh, either way, these are all people on a fixed or no income no or low income. Yeah. And it would be very difficult uh, to, to say, all right, you're, you found a job. Now you got to pay us back. I just don't think it's, it's realistic and it probably wouldn't happen. Uh, we've got another call from South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Let's check in with Robert. Robert, you're on with Vance Ginn. Go right ahead. Hello. Um, uh, uh, I just wanted to mention, you, you said that uh, when um, the, uh, the houses could be bought up by uh, large organizations and that could be bad for the market. But the fact of the matter is, is that actually if large organizations start buying up the houses, it's going to cause the rent prices to decline. My feeling is that it's 
um, it's always better to leave the free market alone and it'll take care of itself. The biggest, pos- the biggest danger is organized crime within government. And the only thing that government has to do to some small degree is make sure that monopolies don't get control somehow. Whether yeah, be- I think you're right, Robert. And that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The, the issue that I have with that is I, I've not seen an instance in I, I turned 45 this year uh, or last year. I've never seen an instance of rent going down ever. Vance Ginn, have you? No, it's it, <laughs> typically not, right? I mean, we did see housing prices go down in 08, 09 during the financial crisis. Um, some rents would have went down across the country, depending on if you could buy them or not. But it's it's few and far between that you see that happen. Yeah, and, and, and that's the issue that I, that I see overall is people are buying um, or these institutional investors are buying these homes. And uh, during the yeah. break w- that we were just on, I was just telling my, uh, <clears throat> my producer in the control room that uh, I'm seeing things that, you know, I don't know, five years ago were $1,100, $1,000, $1,200 that today are not even $2,200 or like $2,800. Yeah. And I'm thinking who's getting that much money from their job. <laughs> or, yep. Even if you make good yep. money, it's, you're not getting that percentage of increase to match what's going on with the housing yeah. cost increase. And then you throw in food inflation and everything else, energy inflation, yeah. inflation overall. And it puts people in a position where you could make a hundred grand a year and be broke all the time because it's yeah. just inflation, right? Dollars aren't buying yeah. as many goods. And, and that to no. me is a very scary proposition when it's actually, in my opinion, it's not the free market when it's the institutional investors buying up all the private homes. Um, I, I, I go to Manhattan and if I see a, a mixed use property, you know, an apartment building with a store downstairs and some apartments upstairs. I don't think BlackRock owns that, right? I tend to think somebody who came as an immigrant 50 years ago, maybe it's an inherited property, their children own it. That's what I typically envision in my head. But these skyscrapers and whatnot, of course, these are huge developments. And and I feel like, you know, when you start seeing a mom and pop uh, bodega with three apartments upstairs uh, owned by BlackRock, I think something's wrong. That's just me. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think there's some truth to that, though, Rich. Um, I, I, I have a little bit more faith in the free market. I think that a lot of these investment companies will lose money on this, um, that they won't take this on forever, just given the yeah. dynamics of what's happening with Congress and the debt soaring, interest rates are going to soar. They're, they're going to have a lot of cost, and I think they're going to be stuck with a lot of these assets that it's going to be difficult to sell off and liquidate. And then that will allow for the correction to occur in the marketplace because the alternative, right, is for this to be called a market failure and for the government to come in and somehow try to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. I don't see how they can do that. And I think that they would make the problem worse. Government failure is nine times out of 10 much worse than any sort of perceived market failure that may be out there. So I, I'm just very cautious of, of, of putting too much blame because then we'll have Congress come in and try to step in and do something, <laughs> yeah. which I think will make the problem much worse. <laughs> right. Reagan said it best, right? Government's not the solutions to the problem. Government is the problem. Uh, amen. Vance Ginn, yeah. Amen to that is right. Vance Ginn, let everybody, well, actually I got to take a pause here, but can we come back and you could uh, plug the, the podcast and let everybody know how they could follow you? Does that work for your yeah, schedule? Yeah, sounds great. All right. Stick around folks. We're coming right back with Vance Ginn. Don't go anywhere. This is America at night with Rich Valdez. America at Night 
with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We continue with Vance Ginn. And before we uh, bid him adieu, Rob in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, listening on WTMA, has a question uh, for Vance Ginn. Rob, go right ahead. You're on with Vance Ginn. Uh, thanks, Vance. Uh, Rich. Uh, Vance, uh, you made a statement that uh, Social Security and Medicare were entitlement programs, and that's uh, not true. Um, I really take offense at it. The uh, Social Security, it, it, it was a forced payment that came out of my every one of my paychecks. And then when I was self-employed, I paid both sides of it um, for over 15%. Same thing with Medicare. I'm on Social Security, and every month I, I pay into the Medicare program. Now, whether it goes bust or not, who knows? They've been saying that since I was in my 20s. But Thank you, Rob. Uh, Vance Ginn, go right ahead. Yeah, I, I don't know that I called it an entitlement. Um, I usually don't call it an entitlement. I think it is a safety net program that was put in place um, many years ago, right, during the Great Depression. And, 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 and you're right, when you're paying into this program, uh, Social Security and Medicare are pay-as-you-go programs, where you paid in during your working years and you're paying for someone else who's already retired at the time. So there's not a specific amount of money that's allotted to you or to me or to anyone. And that's why it's become a system that's um, going bankrupt in the next 10 years if we don't do something about it, uh, where we have a lot of people, retirees compared to those people who are paying into the system. Um, and I think we have to be realistic about it is that there has to be something done. I don't think any retirees will see anything change for them, but I think folks like me, I'm 42, um, you know, and, and younger folks will, will need to have some other alternatives. And so I think that it is something that we're going to need to really look, do a d- deep dive on to figure out what's going to be best for the future. Thank you, Vince, uh, Vance, for saying that. And, Rob, thank you for your call. Big shout-out to everybody listening on WTMA in South Carolina. Uh, now, Vance, again, for everybody who's saying, man, this guy, he's a whippersnapper. He's really smart. I want to hear more from him. How do they hear your podcast? How do they keep in touch with you? What's going on? Well, I appreciate that, Rich. And it's always a pleasure to talk with you and the guests. There's some great questions tonight, for sure. Um, you can all find me on vancegin.com, V-A-N-C-E-G-I-N-N.com. And there's a lot of information on there. I have a newsletter on Substack, vancegin.substack.com. Um, I'm, on, I'm on X, formerly known as Twitter, a lot, <laughs> commenting on a lot of mm-hmm. these things. And then you can find my Let People Prosper show on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm on there as well at the Let People Prosper show. So be sure to check that out, please. Outstanding. I highly recommend Let People Prosper because uh, who doesn't need to learn a little bit more about the economy and economic policy from somebody who was uh, the associate director of economic policy at the White House? Vance Ginn, you are a uh, gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. I'm uh, very, very uh, thankful that you came on the show with us tonight and stayed up late and sounded like you had your coffee, so you weren't snoozing, you weren't snoring. (laughs) You were up to the task, (laughs) and I appreciate it. All right. It's been my pleasure. Have a great night. You too, man. Take care. Have a great new year. All right, folks, we continue with uh, your calls and more and additional conversation. We're going to talk about uh, some of what's going on. There's been some developments. There's been an indictment filed against Alec Baldwin. I don't normally talk about Alec Baldwin because his brother Stephen's actually a friend of mine, and I try not to get involved in that stuff. But this was a big story today, so we'll discuss that. And we're also going to talk about some of the things going on in popular culture. It's Friday, and I want to let my hair down a little bit, if you will. 
Uh, plus, we're going to talk about mental health and the journey to joy. All of that is coming up straight ahead. Plus, your calls open phone America at the top of the next hour. So listen, don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. I'm Rich Valdez. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be here with you this Friday night. It's hour number two of our program, and if you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free. Give us a call, 833-482-5337-833, the number four, and my last name, Valdez. Looking forward to speaking with you guys on the different topics we're talking about. Uh, right now, I want to give you a couple of headlines. Joe Biden, Joe El Baboso Biden, has canceled $5 billion in student debt for 74,000 borrowers. Now, again, this is something the Supreme Court said he couldn't do. He figured out another way to do it, and he's doing it. Now, I'm going to admit to you that I think this is a bad idea. This is not good, and it's also not fair. However, caveat asterisk. I hope I'm one of these 74,000 people because I have some student debt. And if you're going to make a stupid move like that, Joe Biden, please include me in it. Anyway, another headline here. Hunter Biden's art career. Uh, well, uh, folks in Congress and others are saying that this has all of the classic earmarks of a Biden family influence peddling operation. We'll get into that a little bit more uh, in the next hour. Uh, Biden is uh, now admitting that the airstrikes in Yemen aren't working. Well, of course not. The, the typical Biden airstrike is, you know, we go and we hit you and we leave American service members with traumatic brain injuries. And what do we do? We turn around and we shoot uh, an old tank, uh, an old warehouse. Right. We, we don't claim any any people. We don't murder anybody. Right. Nobody's dead at the end of this. And what's the point of an airstrike if you're not going to kill people? Uh, call me crazy, but I thought that's how you fought wars. Unbelievable. Uh, the way that we think about things lately is just so warped. And Joe Biden's always been kind of warped. Uh, the judge is now hinting that Trump's election case and his trial for it might face uh, some delay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, let's see. Uh, there's more. I'll get to that one later. Uh, that one requires a little audio. And uh, there's a the big story that we've been seeing in popular culture and Hollywood entertainment news. Alec Baldwin, uh, the actor, uh, has now been charged with manslaughter. Now, this is an interesting thing because there's video of Alec Baldwin on the set shooting a prop gun with real bullets on the set, and and someone died as a result of this. And it went back and forth, and then it didn't go, and then it came back, and now it's then it was gone, and now it's back again. And I want to get to to the bottom of this with somebody I know that's following it and somebody who's always has her finger on the pulse of what's going on with popular culture, Zen Sams. 
X-E-N, Zen Sams. Zen Sams is uh, a radio host. She's uh, a model out of Canada, and uh, she's just phenomenal. She's done some acting. She does a lot of great work, and she really keeps her finger on the pulse of what's going on in the world of entertainment, the world of politics, and uh, all news all the time. She's really, really uh, up on on what's going on, and she's uh, a mom, so she kind of has to know what's going on. Zen Sams, welcome back. Hello, Rich. Happy New Year. What's going on? Happy New Year to you. Good to hear your voice, Zen. So let's talk I'm always, a little bit. always excited to jump on. Amen to that. I appreciate that. And I know that you um, you always have some interesting opinions and you know what's going on. What's the story here? Uh, what's your take on this story with um, Alec Baldwin and these charges that have been filed against him, this indictment for manslaughter? So let's start from the beginning for those unfamiliar with the case, right? But this is, this is a tragic turn of events because Alec Baldwin now faces this inv- involuntary manslaughter charge for the shooting death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins, the rough cinematographer. But a grand jury has indicted him, and if he's going to be convicted, he could be looking at up to 18 months in prison. Now, someone's going to say, well, it's 18 months. It could be reduced. It's going to be even less. But his legal team expressed like a lot of anticipation for the upcoming court proceedings, meaning he's stressed right now and he should be. Now, there's special prosecutors leading the case. They argued probable cause based on these additional facts from their. There was a very extensive, extensive investigation, like you alluded to earlier. It was on. It was off. Then when when the investigation was on, they really dug deep and Really, it was pointing to Alec Baldwin's potential criminal culpability in the incident that that basically claimed her life and injured. There was an injury as well. The director, Joel Souza, was also injured. Now, in all of this, when you look at this fatal incident, it, it occurred on the set of Rust at the Bonanza Creek Ranch when this prop gun that he was holding, Alec Baldwin, got discharged Although unexpectedly, it did get discharged in his hands, pointing directly at her. And despite the repeated claims of he saying, "Not I, I didn't pull the trigger," the legal aftermath has has it's been a, it's been very com- complex. Lawsuits were filed, criminal charges were initially made, and then later dropped, and then various allegations surfaced and then resurfaced. And among them, the film's armor, Hannah Gutierrez Reed. She faces charges of involuntary manslaughter and evidence tampering. She she pleaded not guilty with her trial scheduled for it was scheduled for for last year, but it kept getting pushed off. Now the, we have to keep in mind that the film's assistant director David Halls, who is the one who handed Alec Baldwin the gun, he reached a plea deal for negligent use of a deadly weapon of a deadly weapon resulting in a suspended sentence and six months of probation. And, you know, I mean, of course, this movie eventually resumed filming because they couldn't lose their money. They had to continue filming it up in Montana, and it concluded production in last last May. But the legal saga really is is just, it's, it's unfolding, and it's a, it's a film within, it, within a film. And the film industry is still grappling with the repercussions of this tragic onset incident that really has left a lasting impact, and there's going to be revisions on controls and regulations on how these armors are are really you know um securing their set there's also there's also rumor that the armor this woman um gutierrez that she was 
on set drinking and as well as doing marijuana. So again, I don't care what people do recreationally, all for having a drink, but not on the job, not when you're hand, handling a gun. So yeah, there's a lot of complexities here, Rich. Very, very uh, interesting stuff. We'll keep our, uh, our our ears open to see what else happens with these developments. Folks, if you're listening to Zen Sam's, our guest, uh, you can check her out on social media at Zen Sam's, X-E-N-S-A-M-S. And uh, we're coming back uh, to continue our conversation with Zen Sam straight ahead. Plus, if you want to join the conversation, feel free, 833-482-5337. We're going to talk a little bit uh uh, other stories that are going on in pop culture straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Mr. Valdez, you have one of the greatest shows that radio has ever had. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back, amigos. And we continue our conversation with Zen Sams. She's a radio host out of New York. She is an actress. She's a model. Uh, she's a super mom, really a terrific person all around. I'm glad she's with us. Of course, if you want to join the conversation, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And uh, as you guys know, I went to um, Medellin, Colombia, uh, just a, a week ago or so, and a beautiful place. And there's a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the historical parts of any tour that you go on involve um, mansions that were once owned by the late Pablo Escobar or different things that have to do with Escobar. And uh, anybody who knows the name Escobar knows that there was a, a woman that kind of uh, preceded him named Griselda Blanco. And uh, it so happens, probably the AI inside of my, my uh, streaming service, but uh, I just started watching, as everybody knows, and if you don't, I'm going to break the news to you now. I, uh, because I follow so much news during the week and we have these, you know, loaded conversations on war and inflation and all these things, I find whatever the silliest reality television show uh, series I can find, and I binge watch that stuff all the time to clear my mind. <laughs> That's what I do. So I was watching my favorite, which is Jersey Shore, Family Vacation, and it said, would you, you know, it suggested this show called Cartel Crew. And I started watching it, and it's a, it's the son of Griselda Blanco. And he's promoting a clothing line, and it's interesting. I'm only a couple episodes in. Um, it's kind of like white noise most of the time. I'm not intently watching it. But it was interesting. And then I saw this story that Sofia Vergara, she's the mom from Modern Family, and she's an actress. You've seen her, I'm sure, in a lot of different uh, uh, films and television shows. She's being sued by Griselda Blanco's estate, by the family. Uh, to stop this Netflix show that's uh, involving her her story or whatnot. And I don't have the scoop on it, but I know that Zen Sams does. Zen Sams, tell us what's going on. 
oh boy. It's, you know, there's never a dull moment in Hollywood. And just when you think you're going to leave a legacy and tell the story of Griselda Blanco and Sofia Vergara signed on with bells on, well, now it's kind of flipped, turned upside down. She's facing mm-hmm. legal action from the family of Griselda, the infamous Colombian drug lord, over her uh, over this upcoming miniseries that's titled Griselda, right? So already it's titled Griselda, but you have to understand that it's public knowledge. Everybody knew who she was. You can take this stuff off the internet and you can right. make anything you want into a TV series. So that's something we should all keep in mind before we you know, go down this rabbit hole of legality. So the family representing Blanco's estate filed this lawsuit against uh, Sofia Vergara and Netflix alleging un- unauthorized use of their family's image and likeness. I, all right, fine. I mean, that's a stretch for me coming from, you know, living this industry every day. And the her son, Blanco's son, claims that he provided interviews for a potential production of his family's story. And he's accusing Netflix of incorporating these materials into the show without proper compensation. So it's one thing to have public knowledge and to go out there and to make a story and a series based off of that public knowledge off the internet. And then it's another thing to have proprietary information as a studio by somebody that came in, a family member, like in this case, and then to exploit that unauthorized, uncompensated in an upcoming Netflix series like this. So that's what he's alleging. So it's going to become Mm. a little bit sticky. So the, so the son is now claiming that all these interviews that he provided for this potential production of his family's story is something that he didn't get compensated for. So the lawsuit seeks to block the release of the series and that the series is set to be released this a few a week from now, January 25th. Now, so is it the same the, son from the show I watch, uh, Cartel Crew? Is it Michael Blanco or is there a different son? No, it's the same. It's the same it's the same son because I mean that I know the, the Blanco children, there's more than, I mean, I think there's a son and a daughter. I don't know the exact amount of children she has, but the Blanco children urgently are pursuing a court injunction, right? So there's more than, there is more than just one, one child involved. And in the midst of this legal battle, Sofia Vergara discusses her transformative role as the cocaine godmother portraying Griselda, mm-hmm. right? As this, they're very complex figure driven by a fierce commitment to protect her family. And then on the flip side, now the family's trying to protect the mother in this lawsuit and trying to not, you know, to prevent this from, from even hitting, hitting the, uh, the stream. But I, I wouldn't understand why, because at the end of the day, I guess they're all feeling disgruntled and they see money and they see Netflix and Netflix has a big budget. And, you know, I guess they're, they're trying to either stop the production or get paid and use this as, as like a ransom. <laughs> I right. guess I guess the, I guess the history. Seems yeah, right. listen, I, I agree. Listen, I think, and maybe we can invite him on the show. Maybe that'll be part two to this discussion. But I, I feel like if if somebody were making a movie about me, um, and I don't know why they would want to do that, but let's say they did, and I had no say in it, then I have no say in it, right? I mean, they they learned about me, they heard about me, they're making a movie that's on right. them. But now, if one of my children goes to them and gives them a bunch of insider info. Um, then the question becomes, uh, are my children that naive to give all these interviews without any contract in place, you know, for, for compensation? Um, Correct. Or do they go and they do that and then say, oh, well, hey, I didn't know you were making a big movie out of this. I thought you were just curious, uh, you know, and, and I guess that's where it can get kind of murky. Uh, but interesting to see how this is unfolding, because ultimately, 
you know, it looks like it's going to be a good program. I think everything on Netflix that has to do with um, narco trafficking, like the show Narcos or uh, La Reina del Sur, the, the Queen of the South. I mean, all those shows seem to be really hits. They're always in like the top 10 of Netflix. So I, I presume that people enjoy this type of programming. Yeah, they do. They do. They're, they're big hits. They're very big hits. And this is why um, her family is seeing dollar signs. You know, so if there wasn't the proper compensation to begin with, with Netflix compensating her estate and the children, I guess now the children are feeling like, well, wait a minute, you, you have a budget to pay all of us. You're making the story about her portrayed by one of the biggest movie stars in the world. And so, you know, we don't know what the deal is and we don't know what the, the, the specifics are, but it feels like they were not compensated. And so um, they'll stop at nothing until they reach some kind of resolution, but then Netflix can turn around and say, you know, whatever, do what you got to do. But this is public knowledge. We, we could go make, you know, this 10 times over without needing your, your permission. But in this particular case, we don't know what was divulged in those private meetings between, you know, those producers and, and, yeah. and now, Zen Sam, so we'll, uh, before you go, I want to, I want to make sure the audience has an opportunity to follow the work that you're doing. And uh, let everybody know, uh, how, do they, how do they check you out? Uh, how do they follow you? Give them the scoop. Well, you can definitely check me out every Saturday night on 710WOR, the voice of New York iHeartRadio, from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern. We cover the tri-state area. And then you can also check us out uh, on Kathy Ireland's Your Home TV platform. You can head directly to our channel there at mox.yourhometv.com. It's free programming. We stream the entire week. Uh, and then we, of course, we're a social media interactive show all over the gram and social media. You can follow our show directly at Zen Sam's with an X, not a Z. Uh, and, and yeah. Now, what's um, what's on the agenda for for this week's program? I know you always have some really uh, hard hitting topics. In this particular case, so tomorrow night. We have a whole bunch of lineups. Let's see, what's my lineup tomorrow night? You know, I have to go check these things because, of course, we've pre-taped this. So tomorrow night is episode 146. What do we have here? We have Dr. Goldberg in the Going Deep segment. We're discussing the latest in, in uh, therapy for the skin, advancements in laser treatments and aesthetics, what carbon dioxide therapy means for the skin. And that's actually... An interesting thing, if you're talking about trending things for the skin, carboxytherapy was the number three skincare trend in Q4 of 2023 hmm. coming into this year. And it's basically Well, don't give it all away. Let people therapy. tune in, no, yeah. right? They've got to know what's <laughs> yeah. going on. Check out Zen Sam's, folks, uh, at Zen Sam's on all of the social media. Zen, I want to thank you for being with us tonight. You are always terrific. Uh, Godspeed to you. My best to the family and hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, Rich. Have, you, have a blessed night. You bet. All right, folks, we're coming right back with the rest of the conversation. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. Valdez. 
All right, America, we continue our discussion uh, now focusing on mental health. I like to talk about mental health, relationships, all that stuff, because secretly I always wished I could be Frasier Crane. You know, the TV show Frasier? I always wanted to be a shrink on the radio. I thought that was such a cool show. But mental health is important, right? And it, it's, it's something that we don't talk about enough, in my opinion, and we have to shed some light on it. But in particular, our next guest, Lisa W. Miller, she's a nationally known researcher and the author of a book that's called The Business of Joy. I, I want to talk to her about this because I believe that joy is, is a key component of life, right? And it's one that's fleeting for me. I, I'm not always joyous. I don't always focus on joy. I'm not always grateful for the abundant blessings that I, I get to experience. And, and sometimes I get caught up and I have to remind myself and check myself and, and realize that, you know, our happiness can't always be tied to the things that occur around us. But that true joy is this, this feeling that kind of uh, comes from within when you realize you've chosen to be joyous, that you're, you're joyous in who you are and what you are in your circumstance. And, and I think there's also not enough conversation about joy. So I, I thought uh, when I had the opportunity to do this interview, I said, yeah, we definitely got to do this interview. It sounds like a, a great conversation to have. So I want to welcome Lisa W. Miller. Uh, she uh, is the head of LWMassociates.com. And uh, you could get her on Twitter as well, at LWM Associates. Lisa Miller, welcome to the program. Hey, Rich. Good to be back. <laughs> Amen to that. And I want to talk a little bit about this because the the federal government, they have their New Year's resolutions on building good mental health habits. And those are always advisable and things that are really good uh, to follow and do. But I, I want to talk about your book as well. And the good news is we have two or three segments to do it. So we're going to be able to dig into everything. So let's start with uh, what people, you know, it's still January. We're a little bit more than halfway through the month. What should people be focusing on? Uh, now that, you know, new year, new me, what are some of these mental health resolutions or good habits? Well, what's interesting, Rich, is that when I do these surveys, you know, regularly, been doing them since, you know, March of 2020. And when I asked this year about New Year's resolutions, not surprising, you know, things like lose weight and exercise, think, save money. Those are all things that are, of course, going to be on the list. But I wanted to ask a different question just to be more in line with what's going on in the world. And what was so interesting was that over a third of Americans really said their New Year's resolutions are going to be around practicing self-care, literally finding more joy in their lives and being present and not distracted. And so I think those three things combined just really show the fact that, you know, coming out of the pandemic, we all sat home you know, we've been isolated and, you know, loneliness is really high and we're realizing that we need this joy in our lives, you know, to, to find, you know, some joy and peace and happiness. And it's showing in this data. Yeah. And, you know, it's a really good point you bring up. I believe uh, the name of our Surgeon General is Vivek uh, Murthy. And earlier, or I should say late last year, I think the fourth quarter last year, uh, he announced that loneliness had reached epidemic proportion. And this is something where I think, you know, I, I didn't realize that that's a thing. I understand that it happens to people and I realize it in my own life that, you know, during the pandemic and even post pandemic, there's a lot less people 
just in general, people are hiding, more people are working at home. Uh, I, I have a, a studio that has very few people that even work in that studio. Plus, I have a whole remote studio in my house. So I realize that I see a lot less people as a result of the pandemic as well. And for many, that, that can be detrimental. And there's a, a need for that. So what, what are some of the, um, uh, the tips to promoting self-care in, in the areas that you mentioned? Well, one thing I want to comment, just building on what you were just speaking about, is that they, uh, Dr. Murphy, actually in 2023, you know, built on that research that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. But what he was talking about is that just this isolation and, and that loneliness is such an ec- epidemic, but it actually can increase if you're lonely, isolated it can increase your risk of heart disease and stroke. And so the way I always, because I always like to see life through joy, it's that when we have the social connections, it's actually not only good for our heart kind of literally, and but it's figuratively and literally. So being lonely is bad for our health. And, and that was kind of shocking data that just came out not too long ago. But when it comes to, you know, how do you find these little moments of joy? Um, I loved your setup when you talked about, you know, joy really is a choice. And there is this recent study that says if you find little, if you can today commit to little micro moments of joy, that can improve your mental health and well-being and just how you feel each and every day. I'm going to give you two examples that I think are kind of fun. And I just, I think this is in my DNA. So some people out there might say, okay, this might seem kind of weird, but I'm one of those people that I make a point. If I'm, you know, in traveling and I'm in a Lyft or an Uber, I actually generally try to have, you know, a conversation and ask how people are doing. Um, The other day, I even talked to a, a delivery driver of food, like how many of us at the you know, if you do drive uh, DoorDash, you just have them leave it on your porch. I actually mm-hmm. talked to the people. And this one gentleman that I talked to, and I was in Atlanta that time, and he was so grateful, Rich, that I took the time to notice him, to see him. And so it makes us feel better when we connect with people, and it makes the person we're connecting with as well. So one little thing is in your day, find somebody just to smile, have eye contact, even just a a simple nod, a simple acknowledgement, I see you. It's crazy how even just that little thing can make us feel better. And you're right, we're sitting at home where, where we can do everything from our sofas now. And I think that's bad for our mental health. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, I'm listening to you speak. And I remember, um, you know, grew up in Brooklyn, moved to Jersey. And and one of my first uh, corporate jobs was for Verizon. It was Fortune 10 company. I was a corporate sales executive. And I, um, you know, I wore a suit to work every day. And I worked in a building that had an elevator. And I remember one of the weirdest things in that job was being in Manhattan all the time and being on elevators or sometimes even a subway with people that were complete strangers. And they were literally, in some cases, on top of me, like sardines. And, yeah, and, and right. I found it so odd uh, in my 20s, right? But I became very used to that. So here I am now, I'm 45, and uh, I'm entirely comfortable uh, being in, in a subway, being in an elevator. I don't have to say good morning. I don't have to talk to anybody. I literally walk through life as if these people are just, you know, part of the decoration. And, 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 and when you were telling me the story about talking to the DoorDash person, uh, I was thinking to myself, I wonder 
A, how it changed for me. I think I just got used to the norm in New York City. But B, um, was this a practice that you've always had since you were young? Or is it something that you just do now as an adult because you're intentional about it? I think it comes naturally to me. And so I think I've kind of done it my whole life. But when I started this project called The Journey Back to Joy, when the pandemic started, what I realized as kind of, as you know, I'm a consumer researcher. I'm one of those curious people. And so what I saw was that obviously it was lockdown, shutdown, isolation, all that stuff. But at the same time, we were craving different ways to connect, whether it was Zoom happy hours or, you know, virtual graduations. But we were still craving the social connectivity and the human kindness. And so, but yeah, I think it comes to me naturally. But even like um, these people that I talk to, literally, I can't tell you how many times where people say, Lisa, you made my day because people just want to be heard. And I ask consumers when I do my research, there's a difference between what we say we want versus what we say we need. And it comes out of my data. Let me explain. I'll give you a fun example that I think everybody can relate to. So today in colleges, there's online courses. When I talk to students, I'll say, do you prefer in person or online? They're like, online. I'm like, okay. And then I say, do you prefer the one where you have to do your homework every week or that you actually can do it all at once at the end of the semester? So basically code for zero accountability. Hmm. And of course, the students are saying, sign me up for the online all at the end. And I go, well, which one do you learn more? And they're like, oh, hands down, you know, in person, I learn better. And then I say, which ones do you feel like you have better connections with your your fellow students in person? But so what they say they want versus what they say they need are completely different. And so they acknowledge, they begin to acknowledge the benefits of being in person because this generation of kids graduating today, uh, 2024, the class of 2024, mm-hmm. They're the first class to have started high school and college. I mean, started um, high school and COVID, when COVID started, and they don't have social skills. And right. so we can't just ask consumers what they. We have to help remind people of the the joy in these human connections because you're. It's easy just to have people it do is. wallpaper. It's easy to get caught it's up. Easy. Lisa, I, I want to jump in here just because we got to take a quick pause. We're coming right back with Lisa W. Miller. She's the author of The Business of Joy. You can get it on Amazon. Make sure you check it out. Buy two copies, one for yourself, one to give to somebody like me that's kind of uh, gotten used to just being a zombie, a cog in life. And uh, we're coming right back with Lisa Miller. We're going to continue the convo. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. We continue our conversation with Lisa W. Miller, nationally known uh, consumer researcher and the author of the just released book, The Business of Joy. 
I recommend getting two copies, one for yourself, one to give away on Amazon.com. And Lisa, we were before the break, we were talking a little bit about um, th- this process of, of people becoming uh, reconnected with, with joy in many ways as a, a, a byproduct of seeking um, good and healthy mental health balance in life. And you talked about practicing self-care and finding uh, more joy in your own life, uh, focusing on being present and less distracted and, and reducing screen time. And I think those are all good things. Uh, and then, you know, we, we commit to them, or at least we want to commit to them, but then not so much, right? We, we don't do it. We don't follow through. And we were talking about how to go from being, um, you know, a, a busy hustle and bustle New Yorker to being somebody that's a little bit nicer, that acknowledges people and is a little bit more friendly. So let's pick up there. Sure. Well, um, one other thing I was thinking about. So, yeah, we were talking about the Uber drivers and just even the DoorDash. I even uh, my DoorDash or my UPS driver, his name's Juan. So, you know, we're fast friends now when he delivered my books, <laughs> when they drop off 700 books to your house and you get to know a guy, the UPS guy. But um, the point is, is that when you talk to people, um, like I said, people want to be seen. And so I encourage everybody out there is find these little micro moments of joy and just do it a little thing every day, make a choice to find a little bit of joy. It, the other example could be, I'm actually a rower and it's not on the rowing machine in the gym. I'm actually on the water in a boat rowing. And, you know, when you look at the sun's, the sunrise in the morning, we have to get out there at six in the morning. It's finding the pause in your life. One of the things that happened during the pandemic is half of Americans today, Rich, are saying, I have to reassess my life. The pandemic changed everything. We're reprioritizing how we spend our time, but yet sometimes we never look up. So find that little moment in your day. It's a kind of a, maybe it's a ritual and routine, but look at it in a different way and find that little moment of joy, whatever it is. I posted about it the other day and I posted a really, uh, if you go to my LinkedIn or even TikTok, a beautiful rowing little clip. And people are like, oh, that reminds me when I play golf, it's great. Or even when I just go visit family and it just reminds people there's joy every day. We just have to have it on our radar to really be able to take it in. Yeah. Yeah, To be able to be open to it. It's there for the taking. And it does. I mean, I told you this data, it improves your health. Berkeley, Cal Berkeley had this little micro moments of joy every day improves your mental wellness. And I believe it. I think I I totally just believe that data. Folks, we're coming right back. We're going to wrap up with our guest, Lisa W. Miller, and she's going to tell us um, the the key takeaways from her book. So don't move a muscle. Plus, after that, it's open phone America. You get to weigh in on all of the topics we've discussed tonight, plus whatever you want to bring to the table. And the number for that, as always, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, amigos, welcome back, familia. We continue our conversation as we wrap up on this topic of the business of joy. That's the just-released book from Lisa W. Miller. She's a nationally recognized consumer researcher and the author of that aforementioned book. And you can um, get a copy of the book, The Business of Joy, Untold Lessons from the Pandemic, What's Next and How to Prepare. And it's important, I think, that we um, keep this stuff in mind uh, because all too often, people are, are, at least in my part of the world, people are very, very short-fused around here, right? This is why people get, you know, it's not just flipping the bird in bad traffic. People are getting out of their cars. They're beating people up. People are really, really stretched thin. And it gives me pause and it makes me realize we all have to do better, uh, starting with me, right? I've got to do better. And that's why I, I love this topic of, of joy as it relates to mental health as well. Uh, Lisa, let everybody know what they can expect when they buy two copies of your new book. <laughs> well, basically, the book is really a retrospective of the pandemic and what we went through. And in the beginning, it might be like, oh, cringe, you know, we all like did crazy things like putting our groceries maybe in the garage and all these things. But mm -hmm. the main takeaway is what are the lessons learned? Because if we don't learn from all the tragedy and some of these bad things, you know, there's just a missed opportunity. So it's a retrospective. And at the end of the book, it kind of summarizes it. And it's through a lens, interestingly, of the restaurant industry, but all of the principles and the learnings apply and it, it, it'll really touch people's heart and things like that. But I do think some of the key takeaways are we have to really kind of what I, you kind of almost hit on it a minute ago, but it's like, we've got to flip the switch and like, turn ourselves back on and re-engage mm. with humanity again because we've gotten this isolation has become comfortable and it's easy because everything can get delivered we don't even talk to anybody and so we have to flip our switch back on and start engaging and it's good for our health and it's good for our soul and so i think that's a key takeaway and then the other thing is about like perspective. This is where we have to say joy is a choice. Yeah, the, the, the world is not great out there, but how you, how you choose to view it each and every day, your perspective matters. So that's where you can find these little micro moments of joy each and every day. And I, I really challenge everybody to try it and just see what a difference that it can make. And I just try to remind everybody, make room in your day for joy. It's a journey. You know, there's not every day is a bed of roses, but um, I, I really believe that if everybody can engage and, you know, be kind, you know, see people, engage with people, I think it'll be a better place. How do people find you? What's the website for you? And how do they get you on social media? Yeah, so the best place to find me is LinkedIn, Lisa W. Miller. You can hashtag Journey Back to Joy and you'll find all my contacts. And the website. Excellent. Lisa Miller, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Folks, we uh, recommend you get the book, The Business of Joy. And straight ahead, it's Open Phone America coming up straight ahead. 833-482-5337. 833-4-Valdez.
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you this Friday evening. It's hour number three on this program. The third hour of the program is a time-honored tradition known as Open Phone America. Now, Open Phones Across America is a tradition that was started by Larry King back in 1978. That is literally when I was born, and uh, continued by the late, great Jim Bohannon for three decades and continued by you, the listeners that call this program tonight with me. So we're going to continue that tradition and um, and enjoy that. I love uh, speaking with people all across the country. And there's a bunch of things that we're talking about, right? I mentioned some stories earlier. Um, let me see. Where are the stories that I talked about? Uh, Biden admits that the airstrikes in Yemen aren't working. Uh, he's also admitted that the uh, the border isn't secure. And this is probably the most interesting one because he's usually saying things that are to the contrary of that. But we have some audio of Joe Biden making such an admission. Listen to this. I love how he's turned on and Biden. Biden's for a free and open border. Just tear down everything. Everybody come. No restrictions. Well, I used to be a bipartisan in this country. And it should be one again. I've been clear from the very beginning. The system is broken. My first day in office. I sent Congress a comprehensive plan on immigration reform. My friends on the other side have done nothing with that. Over and over, I've asked for resources to step up action at the border. In October, I asked Congress to fund for funding that would add another 20 additional, 22,000 additional border agents and officers, hundreds of new immigration judges to make the judgments on the spot, a new, new detection equipment to stop fentanyl from coming into the country. And by the way, I've worked with China and Mexico to slow the flow of fentanyl in the United States. As I speak, it's way down. Yeah, we so know let me that. be clear. My team has been at the table for weeks now on a partisan, with a bipartisan group of senators to negotiate a deal, including border, because I believe we need significant policy changes at the border, including changes in our asylum system to ensure that we have the authorities we need to control the border. And I'm ready to act. I think, oh, God willing, and the crick not rising, as my grandpa would say, you know, I think next week we ought to be able to work out something, at least in the Senate. And I'm hopeful it's going to be the bipartisan package the Senate is going to pass, God willing. Now, the question is for the Speaker and the House Republicans. Are they ready to act as well? They have to choose whether they want to solve a problem or keep weaponizing issues to score political points against the President. I'm ready to solve the problem. I really am. Massive changes. And I mean it sincerely. Now, l- listen, when Biden says that uh, he's been working with China, we know that, right? They didn't call him Beijing Biden for nothing. The question is, he's going to do anything about it. this to me sounds like he's not going to do anything about it. And this is election year rhetoric. So I've been saying from the beginning. No, you haven't been saying from the beginning. I wish I had a, a little bit more more time to pull a bunch of clips of him 
talking about, uh, you know, you gotta let him become the American dream. I've heard all his stories. He's uh, he's a fake. He's a phony. He's a fraud, in my opinion. I don't think Joe Biden's telling the truth here. But I want to get your opinions on this immigration story, uh, as well as the economy that we talked about earlier and how groceries are affecting you. We had a conversation about Alec Baldwin and uh, indictment against him. Uh, I want to get some thoughts on that. And we talked about joy and uh, the importance of joy as it pertains to one's mental health. And I think that's also very important and uh, happy to talk about that with you all as well. So we're going to open up the phone lines, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Let's see, I see calls coming in from Idaho, from Michigan, from Minnesota. And uh, let's let's see where we go from here. Let's go to, let me see, who is first in line? Uh, let us go to Wayne. Wayne's in Bonners Ferry, Idaho, listening on KBFI. Wayne, go right ahead. Ricardo Valdez, it's a pleasure to speak with you. Oh, thank you. And I, I would like to weigh in. No, very much so. We're both in the entertainment industry, and I spent 43 years in the trenches of the film business. Wow. And um, uh, it, it's been great, and I've enjoyed it very much. And I have to tell you that Alex Baldwin, he's a liar. Um, I don't know if I can say that. But um, now that I've well, why do you say that? The business, well, because it, well, first of all, he was the executive producer on that film, and that's the backstop, the vetting that goes on to hire these people that are in charge of these very important departments. And I have to say, the head of every department in a film or even a television show is very important because. It's a dangerous business, all right? And when there's gunplay of any kind, this requires the highest level of competence. And the vetting that would go on to weed the people out that shouldn't be doing this job, you're never going to have a problem like this on a Clint Eastwood movie. I mean, God bless him, he's, he's gone now. But, uh, or Keanu Reeves. They don't take a chance. They hire the people with the most experience, which, of course, are the most expensive people. And he was cutting corners on that film. Jess, just like happened um, on The Crow with Brandon Lee, we took a shot in the face from that. All of us below the line. When I say below the line, that's, that's everybody who's the crew that isn't in the beginning credits of the movie. You know what I mean? We're, we're the worker bees who are down there, and we make a mistake down here, we never work again. A mistake like this costs us our career. And so these people are very careful. So when you hire somebody to be in charge of your gunplay on a film or a television show, they're taking this very serious. And when we go to the point where we're handing uh, I don't care who it is. It could be a B-level actor, a C-level actor, or an A-level actor. Who, guess who's in charge at that point? Well, that prop person or that armorist is now in charge of that set over the director in many ways and in charge of the safety that's going on there and overseeing the fact that training has gone on generally an hour before or so before that to make sure they're familiar with this. And the other thing is, I have to say, 
There is never any live ammunition on that set ever. And and right. how that, that was always uh, the the part that I didn't understand about this. Like, why if we're making a movie, do we have a gun that shoots real bullets? Generally, don't, Richard. A lot of the times, these guns are very expensive replicas of guns that only take this very proprietary type of ammunition. You you can't even push anything through the barrel anymore on a lot of these very expensive prop guns. And these guns are made, and of course, these people invest a great deal of money, the people who are in charge of that kind of thing, and they have a It's very cheap to go out and get yourself uh, a used gun that shoots real bullets and put that on set. That's exactly what happened in um, the, the Crow. They took bullets. Got it. I see what you're saying. And, and that's where you're saying there were some corners cut, and that's why they ended up in the position that they were in. And that makes sense. Again, I don't know all the facts, but I do know that this is an incredibly unfortunate situation. And, Wayne, it was really good talking with you. Wayne and Bonner's Ferry, Idaho on KBFI. Big shout out to everybody listening on KBFI and everybody in Idaho. Uh, I want to continue with this um, line of questioning with Patrick. Patrick's in Alexandria, Minnesota, listening on KXRA. Patrick, go right ahead, sir. You're on with Rich Valdez. All right. Going once. Patrick, do we have you? Going twice. Go right ahead. I'm here. Say words on the radio so people can hear you. All right. He doesn't know how it works. Well, typically you call the radio show and then you give an opinion and you say, yeah, you know, I think Joe Biden's terrible or I think Alec Baldwin did a great thing or a bad thing or whatever. You know, you weigh in on things. All right. We'll give it another shot. Let's go to let's go to Jeff. Jeff is in Lansing, Michigan on W.I.L.S. Jeff, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Mr. Valdez, and, and that's uh, Valdez with an S, if I'm not mistaken. That is accurate, sir. <laughs> yeah, How are you? So, Happy Friday. You you made me you made me laugh with with that last call that they didn't answer the phone call. <laughs> but I want to go back to the, your topic of joy with Lisa, and I and I'm sorry, but I didn't I didn't get her last name. Miller. Yeah. Lisa Miller. Um, joy is, 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 is something, uh, that uh, some people have an innate ability, uh, for that. And, and I, I look, uh, I have, I have a very, I'm an ex radio person and an ex stand up comic. Oh, wow. And so that, that to me is a very, very easy thing. I know it's not easy for everybody, but. Um, it's, it's, I, I, I believe that my sense of humor is God's greatest gift to me mm-hmm. when I go out in public and, and, and I meet people in the, uh, you know, service industry, what, whatever it is, it just, it's a natural thing for me to put a smile on their face. Just it, the jokes come I don't know where they come from, but it makes me feel good to make other people feel good. Yeah, no, I get that. And that's probably why you were, went into entertainment and worked in radio and comedy. Uh, those things, uh, they have to be kind of who you are, right, uh, to, to be that way. I have uh, two, two daughters. One of my daughters is just like that. She, she, her purpose in life 
is, is she's an entertainer at, at, at heart. She's very funny. She's always making people laugh. Uh, she, she's a real joy to be around. And so is the other daughter. But the other one's a joy to be around because she's so helpful and she's so caring and 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 she will, you know, uh, help you with just about everything, you know, no matter what it is. She's very empathetic. And it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. And I wish I was more like her in many ways. Um, empathy is one of those things. I think I have some, but I definitely need a little bit more of it. But uh, I think you're right. You know, God tends to show off uh, his his glory in ways um, in many ways. Right. And not the least of which is how he imparts some of his image into each of us, whether it's uh, a sense of humor or a sense of compassion or a sense of intellect. And and it's always a, a joy, honestly, no pun intended. It's a joy to be able to use that gift that we've received from above with other people as we move forward in life, as we move uh, in, in our career, as whatever, you know. Uh, I, for one, you know, I don't necessarily think I get on here every day and do an excellent job. I wish I did an excellent job every day, but I do, um, I do a job, right, and some days it's better than others. And uh, whenever I get some feedback where people are like, hey, you made my day or thanks so much, we really appreciate it, that stuff really matters to me because, uh, you know, without a listener, you don't have a show, right? <laughs> Otherwise, you're just talking to yourself, uh, and, and nobody wants to do that. So I totally get where you're, you're coming from, Jeff. Thank you. Big shout-out to everybody in Lansing, Michigan, W-I-L-S. And we continue with the rest of your calls and more. I see more calls coming in right now from uh, uh, Ohio, Idaho, and uh, let's see, Maryland. Lots coming in. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. 833 that's Valdez with an S. This is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And New York City uh, Mayor Eric Adams, uh, he's uh, admitting that the quality of life in New York City will continue to decline because of illegal immigration. The illegal immigrants that have taken over New York City is destroying the city. And finally, he's admitting it. Listen to this. We're seeing uh, the erosion of the quality of life that we've improved on in such a short period of time of this administration. And we have been impacted. Uh, for, for many uh, months, we were able to keep the visualization of this crisis from hitting our streets, but we have reached a breaking point. We're no longer able to do that because of the volume and numbers. Just last week, we had 3,900 people that arrived here. We are averaging anywhere from 2,500 to close to 4,000 a week. And if you do the math, you see that's 8,000 every two weeks, potentially 16,000 a month that we must feed, clothe, house, educate children, and all the services that you would give a normal adult. And we're seeing that play out on our streets of New York. And that is what the breaking point looks like, what we are experiencing right now. So ultimately, 
Eric Adams is finally um, seeing it, right? He's seeing it. Uh, and I say finally because originally he was he was backtracking on these things. Now he's talking about the quality of life eroding. Yeah, I think that's what everybody's been saying. That's why you can't let everybody in. It's not like, uh, you know, I feel so bad for anybody that believes that enforcing a border in a country is xenophobic or racist or white supremacist or anything that, that the left will tell you. Because poor Eric Adams probably bought into that and drank that Kool-Aid. And look at him now. Right. He's got a whole city that's turned against him. You got to see some of the videos. I, I, I can't play it on the radio because, A, the context gets lost because you need the video. And, B, there's so many curses in these things. But I saw a video of a homeless black man the other day. I'm trying to give you the, the context of the video. And a group of immigrants from different places couldn't tell if they were Hispanic or some sort of Eastern European. Uh, but they um, they were like four or five guys together. And they um, they were waiting for something to open up to get some sort of goods or services, you know, maybe a city office or something like that. And this man was very angry. He was wearing a blanket and he goes to them and, and he just yells at them in all sorts of expletives and tells them, Hey, look, uh, you know, I've been here, you know, like saying, look, I'm, I'm the poor of this city. You can't come here and claim to be the poor of this city and try and get in front of me online to get stuff at this place. And it was this big argument. And he was like, no, I'm not going to allow it. And he's cursing at them. He's like, F you. And, and they're like, dude, we're not here to have problems. And it was just a fascinating exchange, in my opinion, that they were having. Because all of this is about um, people feeling left out, right? Feeling left uh, behind, feeling cast asunder. They don't, they don't feel like they count anymore. And when it comes to Eric Adams, he, he consistently plays this victim role. Uh, New York City, New York City. New York. And I think to myself, um, what about Greg Abbott, right? Uh, white guy in a wheelchair in Texas. He's the governor there, not a mayor, a governor. This guy every day is fighting the Biden administration. He's using the state police, the Department of Public Safety. They've got helicopters and airplanes. They're doing everything they can to secure the Texas border from the state side, which is not even in their purview, right? It's a federal function. Why, why isn't Eric Adams saying we're going to use the NYPD to make this secure? We're not going to let people in. We're going to turn these buses away. Why is he such a sucker? Why is he so soft? Maybe we could get him. Maybe if the folks in the control room can figure out how we can get Eric Adams on the show. I got a lot of questions for him. Folks, we're coming right back. Your calls and more. 833-482-5337. 833-4-Valdez. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. I am Rich Valdez. Happy to be with you. And if you're on hold, getting to you momentarily, the phone number is 833-482-5337. 
If you're calling in, feel free to do that. We're going to get to the calls uh, in just a moment or two. Uh, I wanted to share with you something that I saw scrolling on Instagram, and I saw this video of an ABC News correspondent named Brittany Shepard, and she seems very shocked at her own poll uh, on Trump and DeSantis, and I thought it was really interesting because, to me, it, it gives me the insight that I sit here and I talk about this every day. You guys hear about it every day. Uh, there's a certain view that I have, which is that Trump was better at being president than Biden is. Uh, Trump uh, has a lot of support from the people. He's not a manufactured candidate uh, from any any particular establishment, right? We can't say Trump is the preferred candidate of Pfizer. Even if you have differences with Trump on his vaccine use and uh, Operation Warp Speed and all of that, he, he's not by any means um, a big pharma guy. Uh, if, if there's any uh, industry Trump taps into, I'd say it's it's uh, hospitality and real estate. And I don't think he's the the poster child for real estate. I don't think there's any real estate companies that are pulling his uh, strings, if you will. Right. So in many ways, when Trump gets together with his supporters, they are people right now. Some people have disdain for that. They think that that is, um, you know, a sign of weakness. Oh, he's just got a bunch of rednecks, a bunch of racists, a bunch of this. and that. But he has tens of thousands of people that fill stadiums because they support his movement his political movement, his ideology. And that's not the case for most other politicians, right? Who, if they're with their supporters, they are big companies, big corporations. So I think that's an important point to underscore. But Brittany Shepard, she, you know, she's doing this like off the cuff Instagram live type of thing where she's discussing how she was about to put on her makeup and sitting on the floor and decided to look at this uh, ABC News poll that has some interesting information. And I want you to hear it. It's about a minute. Check it out. Who is the best suited candidate to take on Donald Trump from within the Republican Party? I thought I would just take a minute or two as I'm doing my makeup on the floor and break down this new poll that we had that we did alongside Ipsos. We asked all our respondents to talk about who they would be satisfied with as the nominee. And 75% of these respondents said that they would be very or somewhat satisfied with Donald Trump. Might not be a big shock if we were following the results of the Iowa caucus. Hold on, check it out. 75% of the respondents to the ABC News poll said they want Trump. Now she's trying to normalize that. I've got to tell you, in my um, years of observing politics going on 20, I, I can tell you that you don't always see polls where 75% of anybody wants to see a particular candidate, right? This is a, a, a good number, especially a candidate that just came off of a huge historic win, huge, in um, Iowa. You can go ahead and play the tape. Yes. But I think the really interesting part of this race is that two and three slot. Who is the best suited candidate to take on Donald Trump from within the Republican Party? At least according to this poll, 64%. Now, before she gets into the numbers on that, I want to know, really, I do want to know, uh, and maybe I'm wrong. And if you're listening to me and you, and you want to refute this point, I will uh, take your, your, uh, your position uh, with an open mind. Why on earth does she think that numbers two and three are more important than number one? I'm really curious here. 
If you have a number one that's coming in at 75%, why would you say that the real important takeaway or whatever words she used, uh, the real important thing to see here is who comes in second and third place? Why? I, I mean, you go to the Olympics, nobody's like, the real important thing here is to see who's coming in uh, for the silver and bronze medals. No, nobody says that. Nobody's ever said such a thing. Why on earth would we ignore 75% of respondents going for the number one option and put our attention to really important, the number one thing to look at here is really numbers two and three, uh, who they would prefer to be Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, but at least in Iowa, came in as Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley. Right. Because that's the candidate that the special interests, the um, Raytheon and, and Halliburton and uh, whoever else uh, is part of the uh, military industrial complex. That's who they're pushing. They're pushing Nikki Haley. Right. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce. They're pushing Nikki Haley. And that's not the, the more conservative option like Ron DeSantis or Donald Trump. And it, it just fascinates me that as a news person, I don't believe she's lying and I don't believe she's trying to massage the truth at all. I think she's genuinely more concerned at looking at two and three. And my thinking is, why? Why is your curiosity so peaked? And I can tell you my supposition is that she's like, well, that's because all these crazy racist rednecks, uh, they all like Trump. So when you move them aside, the base of the party, then you have the regular people. And the regular people, well, they're really the ones that are going to decide on numbers two and three. But I got news for you. The regular people, numbers two and three, they never win elections, right? It's number one who wins the elections, and that remains to be seen. But the logic here is astounding. Go ahead. Of these Republican and Republican-aligned independents were either very or somewhat satisfied with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And there's been a ton of stories about how Ron DeSantis' campaign might be in its 11th hour. But I just want to stress that all of these are live balls. And if you had any question about the state of the Republican primary, like hopefully this can just begin to answer who is coming out and what people are thinking. With the big caveat that a lot can change between now and Election Day. <laughs> the big cap. It's almost like there's a glimmer of hope here, folks. Trump may not be number one forever. And, and that, that's true. He may not be number one forever. But when you have the situation that we have in this country and when you have a Republican base that's squarely behind the former Republican president, why ignore that? Why not just be mature? Look, when Joe Biden got Joe Biden got elected president, whatever the reason be. Once he took the oath of office, that was that, right? That's how that went down. I didn't sit here and continue to, to, to cry over spilled milk. We lost fair and square at that point, right? Even if they stole the election, they, they successfully stole it. You can't fight this stuff forever. You can try. Those are the candidates that are in court and they went to court and they tried to do things great. But we had to move on. We had to swear in a president. We had to move forward. And, and that happened. I saw the inauguration. Joe Biden took the oath of office. He's the president. He's still the president today. Right? At some point, reality kicks in. And, and my question here is, why is reality not kicking in for our friends on the left? Anyway, um, let us, uh, let's go to Paul. Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ. Paul, go right ahead. Uh, good evening, Rich. Um, yeah, Rich, you know you were talking about joy earlier. Well, it's kind of hard for me to have joy when we've got Jay, Joy Behar and what's <laughs> the other one? Uh, Whoopi uh, Goldberg. Joy uh, Reed. 
Oh, Joy Reid. Joy Reid, oh, yeah. Joy Behar. Yeah, yeah. How can you have Joy in your life with them too? But anyway, yeah. aside from that. Not that kind um, of Joy um, for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, now, Kamala Harris, you had her, you, you had what she said. I, I, the first time I heard it was, I think, yesterday on your show. Uh, when she says that she's scared, well, she yeah. should be. You know, <laughs> because the American people have had it with the left and the, you know, and the Democrats, in my opinion. Um, I mean, look how good Donald Trump did in Iowa, and I think he's going to – I think he's going to do pretty good here in New Hampshire, but uh, the American people's had it with all this crap that they're throwing forward. You know, um, I just um, uh, when he was talking about um, uh, Nikki Haley. Now, the one thing that caught my ear was she saying that she wants to raise the age of retirement. Now, I'm right around 60s, Rich. I'm lingering right in that area. You know, yeah. I don't know if I could go another 10, 15 years, dude. I had a I, I was an electrician <laughs> for over 30 years. Right. You know, and who wants to? And she wants to. Get, yeah, yeah. So that's one reason that I, I just do not like her. Um, Ron DeSantis, he's been kind of quiet, in my opinion. I haven't heard a whole lot from him. But Dr- Donald Trump, you know, he just seems to be getting stronger and stronger. And that's just my opinion. And, um, you know, like I say, I always enjoy your show. Oh, well, thank you, Paul. Listen, I, I agree with you. Um, I will say I do like Nikki Haley. I think she's a nice person. And I think for the sake of this campaign and, and what she's trying to do to win this campaign, to be like the alternative uh, establishment candidate. Um, I, I just, I'm not going to, I don't lose respect for her. I don't think she's a bad person. I just disagree with these positions. It's, it's not what I think is good for America at this point. DeSantis, another person I have a lot of respect for. And I think he's terrific. He's a rock star in my opinion. Uh, just he's unmatched here, right? He, he's not the guy to beat Trump. Um, I don't know if there is a guy to beat Trump in this situation. And just not because Trump is so great, but because Trump was president. And if you have a guy that was president and has this track record, why on earth would we try to reinvent the wheel? It makes no sense to me. To me, it makes sense to say, look, this guy did his thing. He got more more votes uh, in his reelection than any other president uh, to be reelected. And, uh, you know, it calls into question the validity of of all of these mail-in ballots and the actual number that they say Joe Biden won by. But putting that aside, Trump has a track record, a track record of peace, a track record of of no new wars, a track record of of turning back the um, the the uh, over regulation that we saw in our country, uh, a track record of increased productivity when it comes to energy, energy dominance, not just independence. I mean, and there's many areas, uh, median household income being up uh, something like sixty five hundred bucks. Uh, there was a lot of areas where Trump did well, and I think it's those same areas that we need to focus on, uh, irrespective of others saying, I think I can do better than him. They, they've had their chance. They've said what they're going to say, and they're going to continue to run against him. But I don't see them uh, in any way making a, a dent or an impact, especially when the Democrats are out there saying that Trump is the de facto nominee. If the Democrats are saying that, then Republicans really need to kind of recognize it. Well, Paul, I really appreciate uh, your kind words and, of course, your uh, your your loyal listenership to this program. I wish you a good weekend. A big shout out to everybody on WHIZ. And uh, we're coming back with the rest of your calls and more. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833 833- 4 Valdez. That's 
Congratulations on just an amazing show. I know you've worked so hard in the industry and nobody deserves it more than you do. So I'm happy to see you really succeeding here. It's awesome. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We continue our conversation with Americans across the fruited plain. Where do we go? We go to Boise, Idaho to check in with our buddy, Paul. Paulie, welcome, sir. Thanks, Rich. It's good to talk with you again. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Actually, I'm not in Boise, Idaho. I'm oh. actually in Connecticut right now at a family reunion. Oh, nice. I give you a call and say. East Coast. It's, it's wonderful over here. It's been snowing, and I went on a trip this morning with my sisters, and uh, we went to a whaling ship that was still floating that could be sailed, but it's running into some issues. And they, this guy that gave us the tour was just fantastic. He allowed us to answer or ask questions, and he gave us all the answers, and, and he, he had just had a pleasant demeanor about him, and nice. he was doing it because he wanted to do it, and he wasn't getting paid to do it. And it just, what it topic uh, did you want to weigh in on tonight, Paul? I think joy. That's that's what I received was sure. by getting out of the house, getting out of the recliner, getting out of my comfort zone in the house. You get out and you talk with people you don't know. And if they don't want to talk, you don't get the issue. You let them respond. If they don't want to respond, they don't. Yeah. And so the whole the whole thing that, that the lady was talking about, the author of that book, I was thinking, yeah, that's that's what you really need to do. Uh, listen, I, I'm with you. Uh, I feel like I've I've gotten too far away from from the um, the standard of kindness that uh, I think is expected of me, and I need to get closer to it. And it's not as easy as one would think, right? Uh, because it's not like we're there's a ton of southern hospitality uh, all over the place where where I am. <laughs> it's kind of commonplace for people to be rude and and curt and uh, and and very uh, short tempered and very quick witted and just in a rush. And, and it's something that I, I don't like, and I, I aspire to improve. And I always thought I would improve it by leaving, right. And go, going further South and, and maybe um, just living amongst uh, the, the politer half of our country in the South. But I think you're right. Joy is a key element and it's a conscious choice that we have to make every day to focus on things. There's a, um, a Bible verse that I I'm partial to. I think it's, um, Philippians chapter four, verses four through eight, uh, Philippians four, four. And, um, and it talks about joy and how we, we, we need to choose joy and keep our focus on joy. And, uh, you know, like many great quotes, whether they're from the scriptures or not, easier said than done, right? It's always easier said than done. Paul from Boise, Idaho, listening online from Connecticut. Thank you for the call. Enjoy your whale watching, enjoy the snow and enjoy the East coast. And, folks, we come back with your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. 
This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. And Kevin Roberts, he's the president of Heritage Foundation. He was at uh, Davos, uh, Switzerland, for the the um, World Economic Forum, the the elites, where they get together and they talk with Klaus Schwab and Yuval Harari and all the rest of those crazies. And uh, listen to the back and forth between Roberts and um, the reporters. What do you think he means by retribution? Well, it's laughable that you would or anyone would describe Davos as protecting liberal democracy. It's equally, standing up for it. It's 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 equally laughable to use the word dictatorship at Davos, and and aim that at President Trump. In fact, I think that's absurd. But I'm gonna step aside from that constructive criticism and instead answer your question. Yep. And and I'm gonna be substantive here. President Trump, if he's the next president, for that matter, I think whoever the next conservative president is going to take on the power of the elites, which I mentioned earlier. But the the thing that I want to drive home here, the very reason that I'm here at Davos, is to explain to many people in this room and who are watching, with all due respect, nothing personal, but that you're part of the problem. Political elites tell the average people on three or four or five issues that the reality is X, when in fact reality is Y. Take immigration. Elites tell us that open borders and even illegal immigration are okay. The average person tells us in the United States that both rob them of the American way of life. They're right. President Trump will take that on on behalf of the average American. Again, that's Kevin Roberts, president of Heritage. And I think he's right. Whether we're dealing with Yuval Harari or the rest of those crazies, it's so important that we uh, we push back the way he did. I want to go to Bill in Dagsboro, Delaware, WXDE. Very quickly, Bill, who do you think will be Trump's running mate? I, I believe it's going to be uh, Christy Nome. Christy Nome's a very good choice. Governor in South Dakota. She's terrific. Thanks for the call, Bill. I appreciate it. Frank in Evergreen, Montana. We've got 25 seconds for you. What say you? I want to say there's still a lot of drug uh, getting across the border up here uh, on the east side of Glacier Park. Oh, it on the Canadian border. Canada. Yeah, you know what, Frank? I think you're right. They're using every... Uh, opportunity to bring drugs across the border that they can. And that's exactly what they were just talking about at Davos, uh, at the uh, World Economic Forum, how uh, it's not okay to have an open border. It's not okay to transport drugs. It's just not okay. Folks, thank you, Frank. I appreciate it. Hasta la próxima. I am Rich Valdez. Take care. Good night and God bless. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? You pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.